0: Hello, welcome to the Girl I Slept in My Makeup podcast by three sisters who live in three different states who are excited to talk to each other and also to learn and grow alongside of each of you. My name is Megan. I'm Kristen.
1: And I'm Lauren. Hey, sisters. Hey. Hi. (laughs) Hi. We are beyond excited, you guys. Listeners, you asked, and today we are delivering... Today's episode is one that you might want to listen to when the young kiddos are not around (laughs) because today we are talking about sex and we thought, yay, Um, let's talk about sex, baby. (laughs) baby. (laughs) Um, We really thought that it would be best to bring in an expert and oh my gosh, y'all, we feel so incredibly fortunate to have who we have with us today today. We are having a conversation with Vanessa Moran, and Vanessa is a licensed psychotherapist and writer specializing in sex. She has served as a featured expert over 1,000 times for Oh! The Oprah Magazine, Refinery29, The New York Times, and so many more. Her writing has been translated in over 15 languages, and she is here with all of us today. Sharing her wisdom. What the what? Vanessa, thank you so much for being here.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to get to have this conversation with you guys today.
1: I know we are too. We're so giddy and thrilled, and we have so many questions for you. But listeners, we want you to grab your cup of coffee or glass of wine and just sit back with us and pretend like you're here having girl talk. Um, we are going to go there for you and ask all the questions that, um, for whatever reason we feel uncomfortable asking sometimes. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, then Van- Vanessa with Especially everything going need. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ma- <laughs> Megan is the most uncomfortable out of all of us right now, but it's okay. She's going to go Don't there. Worry.
2: We'll, we'll <laughs> make this nice and easy. <laughs>
1: Vanessa, we really, with everything going on in the world right now, we're trying to kind of steer away just from the daily corona conversation. However, I would kind of like to start with just a question that does sort of relate to this situation because during this t- challenging time that we're going through right now, but also just in life in general, when we encounter challenging times in our lives, what tips can you share with us on how to maintain a healthy relationship and even maybe a healthy sex life? Because I know a lot of us have been thrown into this quarantine situation where for a lot of us, it's the first time that we are at home under one roof all day, every day working and just trying to, to do life. So what can you share with us on that?
2: Yeah, you know, I'm in LA and just at midnight last night, we officially went into lockdown. So, you know, I know what a crazy time this is and and trying to just grapple with it myself because it's something that none of us have ever experienced before. But the good news is that my husband and I, we work together on my business and we've been working together from home since 2015. So I think I've got some good resources and, and good experience, you know, figuring out how to make this all work. So, I mean, there are so many things that I could share with you, but what I want to start with first is we all need to focus on self-care first. Mm -hmm. So yes, our relationships are definitely feeling this added strain of spending a lot more time together, maybe working from home together from the first time ever, having to deal with all kinds of different responsibilities and childcare. And, you know, life is just looking so different from what it did just a few weeks ago. So yeah. it's really important for us to first take care of ourselves and try to get a sense of, you know, what is it that we're needing? And a lot of us have good self-care routines that we were using beforehand, but it kind of feels like everything just got thrown out the window and we're yeah. having to reevaluate what feels good to us. So that's the question that I keep asking myself multiple times every day. like What would feel good to me right now? Mm -hmm. Um, And really just trying to be soft and gentle with myself about navigating through all of this chaos and uncertainty. So definitely making sure that you start your day really doing whatever it is that you need to take care of yourself, whether that's having a journaling practice, maybe doing some meditating, some exercise, um, whatever it is that's going to feel good for you in that day. And then, you know, once we feel like we have a little more resources, a little more grounding on our own, then it actually feels a lot easier to re- approach our relationships because we just we feel more settled. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, when it comes to relationships, the number one thing that I can recommend right now is you've got to be in pretty constant communication with your partner about how you can support each other. So normally, I recommend that couples have a weekly check-in where they kind of check in and say, hey, how did the week go? And what did we do really well? And what do we need from each other next week? How can I be an even better partner to you next week? Now, I think we need to be having that check-in on a daily basis. Um, So really trying to be intentional with each other and say, you know, what would feel good for you today? How could I support you today? What kind of challenges are on our plates today? So just having that more frequent communication, checking in with each other, even if there are times where you just don't really have an answer, it still is going to feel good. And you're going to feel like teammates feeling like, okay, we're working on this together. We're, you know, we're trying to get through this together.
1: Yeah, totally. That's mm-hmm. so good. And then, can we even go there with this with this topic about what about our sex life? I mean, whenever oh, you yes. whenever you throw in <laughs> stress and kiddos home a lot more than they are. Mm-hmm. Um, both both Megan and I have children at home, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, What are some tips just around sex during this time?
3: I mean, have y'all seen the meme about the new generations, the quarantines you're going to be
2: raising? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. So my main recommendation here, and this might sound a little controversial, so hear me out for a second, but I really recommend scheduling sex. So I'll be totally honest, when I first heard about scheduling sex, even just a couple of years ago, I thought it was one of the worst ideas I'd ever heard. I thought it was so unsexy and just made sex feel really clinical and boring. I hated it. Um
0: yeah. but through
2: a, a kind of a long story <laughs> my husband and I actually ended up scheduling sex in our relationship and trying to figure out different ways of playing around with it so that it didn't feel really cold and clinical and boring. Um and so we you know we figured out a really great routine for us that we really like. It makes us feel excited to connect with each other. It ensures that that time happens and it just feels really sexy and fun and playful. So I recommend scheduling sex to couples all the time. But I think right now is a particularly great time to practice it. Because yeah, the reality is life looks so different. There's so much chaos going on around us. And let's be honest, most of us aren't feeling very sexy. I mean, I'll be brutally honest. You know, I have felt zero active sexual desire since all of this happened. Like there's just Mm -hmm. not, I don't have the space (laughs) to be thinking about wanting to have sex. Um, But my husband and I, we've stuck to our schedule and so we'll show up for each other and our sex life and we'll both kind of say okay i'm not feeling very sexy right now we've had numerous conversations about like should we postpone this or maybe we'll do it (laughs) tomorrow instead but we we keep showing up and holding that commitment to ourselves and so another big piece of this is that you don't need to schedule intercourse, you can just schedule some sort of physical contact. So maybe some days all that you're open to is, hey, let's get naked together and jump in bed and we're just going to cuddle for like 10 minutes. That's totally fine. You can get a lot of really amazing connecting intimate moments just from that. So it's not about forcing yourself to do something that you really don't want to do. It's just about making a commitment to yourselves, to your intimacy, and being willing to show up even though there's so much going on in the world. So I think that that can be such a great tool for couples to use right now. This is probably a
3: dumb question, but it does it matter like how many times a week, like, or is it just like whatever feels good to you as a couple?
2: No, that's a great question. It's one of the most common questions that I get asked, you know, like how often should we be having sex? Um, I wish there was some magic number that worked for every couple, but the truth is that every couple is just so different. Um, But what I am recommending now is that you stretch yourselves a little bit and try to schedule something that feels a little outside of your comfort zone. So again, it's not about forcing ourselves to do things that we don't wanna do. It's about recognizing there's a lot stacked up against intimacy right now, um, yeah. and we need to make an active effort to create that space. So if once a week feels like, oh man, I, I don't know if I can do that, you know, that might be a good goal to stretch for. Um, so you know, it's going to be different for every couple, but um, I, I, and I, what I would also recommend too is that I think couples should make space every single day for some sort of physical touch. So you can have all your clothes on. The kids can be around, you know, you can be just cuddling on the couch or something. But I think with everything going on right now, it's so important for us to have those moments of connection. So I'd say every single day, carve out at least five minutes for some sort of physical touch.
1: Yeah, that's so good. Um, Let's back up just a little bit. And so having... I lived abroad for four years and our friend group was predominantly Europeans. And so I noticed like this obvious, when it came to the subject of sex, there was an, uh, and even nudity, there was an obvious kind of different perspective there. So Mm -hmm. I kind of just want to, and this might be generalizing some, but Vanessa, why do we feel so uncomfortable just talking about sex in general? And sometimes even have like a sense of shame around it.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I you know, I think it just really traces back to our puritanical roots as a country. Yeah. Um, so my, my husband, Xander and I lived abroad as well. We lived in Germany, and Germany is such a great example of, you know, they're just so open about sex, about nudity, about their bodies. It's just not a thing in the yes. same sort of way that it is here. But we have a long, long history in this country of um, really repressing sexuality, you know, being judgmental of it. A lot of religious stuff comes up. So, you know, most of us, we are inheriting generations and generations and generations of sexual shame and embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really hard not to internalize that. Yeah. So most of us just, we didn't grow up with any great resources that could combat all of that generational, um, you know, learning that we were given. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just really challenging to emerge from this society with positive, healthy views about sex. But, you know, in a way, I think that that's maybe that we can kind of soften around that. And, you know, sometimes we can be really hard on ourselves. Oh, Why am I so embarrassed about sex? Why can't I talk about it without my face turning beet red? But (laughs) if we can sort of recognize like we're all in this together, you know, everyone has grown up being taught to be ashamed and embarrassed about sex. I am a sex therapist for a living. And there are times where my face turns beet red. (laughs) Like We're all in this together and it's not something, you know, it's not a personal default of any one of ours. It's stuff that we were taught.
1: Yeah, that's totally true. I do feel like, um, I don't know, just maybe did, have you watched Goop the Gwyneth Paltrow documentary that came out recently there's- I
2: haven't had a chance to watch that yet, but I know she did a whole episode with yeah. um, Betty Dodson, which is, yeah, she's amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny because whenever we found you, we started following you and I know that you launched the female orgasm revolution in January, which I signed up for. And I just wanted mm-hmm. to kind of learn more of what you were about. And it was phenomenal. I have to say, and I'd love to kind of dive maybe just into the cliff notes of that, but um, it's funny cause I just feel, and then all of a sudden I was hearing, actually, my husband was the one who came to me and was like, have you heard about this? Like orgasm episode on goop. So <laughs> we, we actually watched it together. And by the way, if anybody out there hasn't watched it, I really do highly recommend watching it. It's just, um, I don't know. I just kind of like that the conversation is being had and I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm just getting in tune with it now, but it does feel like this conversation about sex and our bodies and being comfortable and and all of it is being talked about more. Do you feel that way as well?
2: Yeah. I love that it's being talked about more often. I love that there's an entire episode about it. Um, It's definitely, you know, it's great to see the interesting thing though, is that at the same time, I think sometimes when we have more media coverage about it, a lot of times I hear women tell me, you know, well, it's getting talked about everywhere and I'm seeing all these articles, but I'm still not having an orgasm. And it's actually making a lot of women feel worse about themselves because they still haven't figured it out. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important, you know, when we talk about female orgasm to really be much more specific about how to make it happen Um, instead of just having, you know, you'll see a lot of generic articles online that will say stuff like, "Oh, you just have to relax and you know, don't think about it and just let it happen," <laughs> and I hate those kinds of articles because it makes it sound like orgasm is this passive process. When in reality, it's not. It's a skill, and like any other skill that we might want to learn, it takes time, patience, and practice. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, really was the main motivation behind me creating finishing school, which is my online orgasm course for women that I created back in 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, I really wanted to combat all of that vague, generic advice and, and create a specific step by step system for women who want to learn how to orgasm. And so the female orgasm revolution was something that we created recently because we have gotten such an amazing response to finishing school. So many women saying, oh my God, I never knew any of this. Why did I not get the chance to learn these, you know, even the most basic facts about my body um, not even talking about like all the advanced techniques and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had women in their seventies and eighties go through the course, which is so wow. To, yeah. To like to have women for the first time in their lives, be learning about their bodies, which is so incredible. So we created the female orgasm revolution as a way to give as many resources as we could for free. Um, so finishing school is a paid course, but the female orgasm revolution is absolutely free. And we share lots of specific you know tips and techniques um, that we think all women deserve to know yeah I love
3: that it's called the finishing school yeah (laughs) so off saying all of that how would what would you say like how would you suggest I don't know this is kind of a weird question but how would you say to have an orgasm with your partner like what would your tricks tips be
2: Mhm the absolute most important thing that you need to understand about this is that it's important to have an orgasm on your own first before you can have them with a partner. So most women just want to skip right to the having it with a partner part because you know you might have spent years or decades of having sex with a partner and feeling really self-conscious and embarrassed about the fact that you haven't been able to get there. But it's just so important to be able to learn on your own first. It's really really challenging And I've met very, very few women who have been able to have their first orgasms with a partner. And plus, I really believe that learning how to make ourselves orgasm is one of the most empowering, exciting experiences that you can have. So I think it's, you know, even if there was some magic way to just have an instant orgasm with your partner, I still think learning how to explore your orgasm on your own is such an amazing experience that every woman should go through it.
1: Yes. Um, Vanessa, this this is Lauren, and I had shared, and we did an embarrassing um stories episode a few weeks ago, but one of the stories I shared is I was that 20-year-old in college who went to the doctor after her friends were sharing their kind of experiences with that, what you're talking about, and I had not experienced that. And so I literally, I was so naive when it came around like sex and my own body and I asked my gynecologist with like a bright red face and said, um, can I just ask you, do I have a clitoris? I said it totally wrong even. And so we call it the glorious clitoris story. But um, (laughs) so I was definitely one of those who just, I don't know, just needed, I just felt so much shame around like an embarrassment around getting to know My own body, much on my own, much less with a partner. So I totally hear you on that. Um, On the female orgasm revolution, there were some bullet points that I really, that really just kind of like wowed me. And I, if you don't mind, I want to share and maybe we can just, you can speak to them further. But one was that the clitoris and the penis are biological equivalents. And so why do we make women Mm -hmm. feel? Bad for needing clitoral stimulation, but we don't make men feel bad for needing penile stimulation.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Yes. I mean, could you imagine just going off of your story, a man going to the doctor and, you know, being ashamed to talk about his penis? Like, no, you know, that would be totally totally fine. So yeah, I mean, I, I love the science geek out about this stuff. So um, most people don't realize that when we are all fetuses in the womb, we start off basically having no gender. Um, and it's not until about eight to 10 weeks that the tissues start differentiating and the fetus is going to become a female or a male. And so the comparison that I make is it's sort of like you have a ball of clay and you can take that ball of clay and you can mold it into a mug or you can mold it into a plate. So they're totally different shapes, but they're made out of that same ball of clay. Hmm. So the tissues that go into making a penis for a man make a clitoris for a woman. So they're biological equivalents. They're the same structure. Um, and you know, just like we totally accept and acknowledge that the penis is the center of the universe for male pleasure the clitoris is the center of the universe for female pleasure. So it really gets me fired up that we don't give the clitoris a ton of respect that the clitoris feels like it's something that's, you know, it's sort of shameful. It's, you know, complicated and mysterious and, you know, it's so difficult to find and and all of that. When we don't, you know, we don't treat the penis that way <laughs> at all. Yeah. yeah. And because it's, the, it's another... in your face. <laughs> I'm just <kidding>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little bit more on your face, but the cool thing about the clitoris is that the clitoris actually has way more sensitivity than the penis. So it can be two to three times as sensitive. Female orgasm can be way more pleasurable than male orgasm. So there's a little bit. Of, we get some trade-offs, but yes, we definitely got exactly. a lot of things going on for us.
3: <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> that. I- Oh,
1: sorry. There's actually, one of the other points. Sorry, Kristen. Um, from you say from a nerve ending standpoint, expecting a woman to have an orgasm from penetration, is like expecting a man to have an orgasm from having his knee massaged or yes. having his. Or having his testicles tugged.
2: I love that. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, most of us, we are taught to believe that as women, we should have an orgasm from intercourse, from sex. And, you know, and so, so many women grow up and start becoming sexually active and feel so deeply ashamed when we realize that it's not happening from for us. We feel like we're broken, something's horribly wrong with us. And I, you know, I share in that, um, in the female orgasm revolution that I went through that myself, even though I was studying to be a sex therapist at the time, you know, I still felt like I was supposed to orgasm from penetration. I faked orgasms for such a long time because I was so embarrassed that it wasn't happening for me. But the reality is, you know, if we stick with this same ball of clay analogy, um, you know, the vagina, the tissues that end up making a vagina for women, which is, you know, what's getting stimulated when you have intercourse, they make a tiny little duct in the male body that's called the prostatic utricle which, you know, like where are our Maxim magazine covers that are like how to have your prostatic utricle stimulation orgasm or like you know, making you feel bad if you haven't had the prostatic utricle orgasm, every man must have one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the vagina just doesn't have a lot of nerve endings. And if we think about, you know, childbirth too, like imagine how much more intense childbirth would be if you had tons and tons and tons of nerve endings in your vagina. Like it's just not meant to be a super sensitive area. Area. So yeah, yeah from an, if you're we thinking about it purely from a nerve-ending standpoint, it would be like expecting a man to have an orgasm from having his knee rubbed. And so I tried to be even generous with the analogy and let's say like, let's keep it in the genital region. You know, yeah, it would be like having a guy have an orgasm from his testicles being pulled. So it's just it's so unrealistic <laughs> and it makes us laugh, which I think it's super important <laughs> to recognize. Like that's how silly and ridiculous it is to expect women to have orgasms from penetration.
3: So cuz I always thought that there was two ways for women to orgasm like there's two spots like so the clitoris and then inside so you're saying you can only orgasm through your clitoris correct
2: so all female orgasm ties back to the clitoris. Now okay. the really cool thing about the clitoris—I wish we were on video chat right now so I could show you because I have a little gold 3D clitoris right next to me. That's but amazing. the clitoris—you know—most people we think of it just as that little teeny tiny nub of skin that you can see in between your labia. But actually, the clitoris is much much larger than that. It's actually a wishbone type of shape. Um, so the top of the like the top of the wishbone—that's the part that we're seeing but there are these two, it splits into two legs, which are called crura. And those legs extend up into the body and they can be quite long, like three to um, three to six centimeters in length. So they're, they're pretty substantial. And so those portions of the clitoris wrap around the vaginal wall. So, All clitorises are different, and some women have, you know, different women have different kinds of of sensitivity in different areas of the clitoris. So, for some women, you can feel, um, you can try to internally stimulate. those legs of the clitoris, but it's just a lot harder because you're having to work through the muscles and tissues of the vaginal wall rather than the clitoris that's, you know, exposed, you can touch it directly. So it's not that you can't feel any stimulation inside the vagina, um, but it's that, you know, it's, it's still all that it's coming back to is the clitoris. So is that
1: whenever Mm -hmm. you talk about the inside, so the kind of leg or what do you say, the arms of the wishbone, is that what some people refer to the G-spot? And if not, what is the (laughs) G-spot?
2: Yes. So the G-spot is a bundle of nerves and tissues that are located at the tips of those legs. So for some women, there is more sensitivity there. Um, For other women, they can't feel anything. Um, But it's really important to recognize there's a lot of, you know, mythology about the G-spot, like, oh, it's this, you know, top secret hidden spot and you just have to find it. It's not about that. It's again, it's still just all about your clitoris and discovering what are the different levels of sensitivity for your particular clitoris. Got
3: okay. it. So is like squirting a real thing or? <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: Kristen's just going there. <laughs>
3: yes. So we, the reason I say that is because we actually have a friend who says that that happens. And I've just obviously I've never experienced that personally. So I was just curious.
2: Yes. Squirting is a thing. Um, so what squirting is, is it's basically it's like ejaculation for men. It's the expulsion of fluid from your body. So it is not urine. That's a really common misconception. Women are always like, oh my God, I think I just peed the bed. <laughs> it's not pee. It's a totally separate fluid and it's secreted by the skeins and Bartholins glands. They're just some a couple of glands that are, you know, up in our reproductive tract. Um, so it's a completely separate fluid. Um, we don't know a ton about squirting because there's just not, as you can imagine, not a ton of research dollars being funded into learning <laughs> more about squirting. <laughs> but most people believe most people believe that all women are capable of squirting, but it's really something that you have to. So some women can just do it on their own without ever having to try. But for the vast majority of women, it's it's like, a, again, it's like a skill that you have to learn and practice. Oh, wow! And so squirting is really interesting to me because even just five or 10 years ago, I would have women coming into my practice saying, I do this really embarrassing thing. I'm squirting. I hate it. What do I do to make myself stop? It's so awful. You know, I, I don't want to ever do it again. And now squirting is like kind of in vogue somehow. (laughs) It's become this popular thing. And so now all my emails are like, how do I learn to squirt? I'm desperate to learn how to squirt. I feel so terrible that I don't. So it's, it's very interesting to track like sexual trends in that way and see the all the funny ways that we put pressure on ourselves to be different from how we currently are. Well, the uh,
3: rumor uh, is it's a more intense orgasm from what I've heard. I mean, I don't
2: know, but. <laughs> so here's the thing. Squirting and orgasm are two completely different processes. Hmm. So you can squirt, but not not have an orgasm and you can orgasm, but not squirt. Um, so it's not that squirting makes the orgasm more powerful for most women. It's that it feels like it's a different kind of sensation. There's excitement about doing it. It's more stimulation as well. So it might feel a little bit more intense or different in the moment. um, but it's not tied to orgasm. Got it. That is so interesting.
1: Wow. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I have a question
1: about orgasm in your sleep? Is that, is this Ooh, a real yes. thing? Cause you know, there's been times where like you wake up and you're like, Oh, mm-hmm. I think I might've had an orgasm in my sleep, but was I just dreaming? I don't know.
2: <laughs> it is very possible to orgasm in your sleep. Really? Um, and a lot of us do it. Um, a lot of us do it and never remember or realize that that was happening. Um, but if you do happen to wake up in the middle of one, it can be quite a pleasant experience. Yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting. It's like
3: a wet dream. Like guys have that. You've heard of that, Mm -hmm. right, Lauren?
2: Yeah, I guess. Okay, exactly. Exactly. Um,
3: I have a question. So, if you, what would you suggest for girls who like have just had a baby, or like are just, you know, the honeymoon phase is over, and you kind of just lost that excitement? Um, like, what would you say are some of the best tips to like get back in the groove? if that Mm
2: -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So for me, the most important place that I like to start with is recognizing that, you know, one of the major myths about sex is that sex is just supposed to be naturally exciting and wonderful. And we're just supposed to naturally and effortlessly desire it. Um, I mean, that's the only way we ever see sex portrayed, like, you know, in the movies, on TV, it's just, all it takes is, you know, one look and you're off to the races. Um, And so we've been taught to believe that you know if you're in the right relationship or if you guys are compatible or the chemistry is right, that it should feel effortless and easy. And this is made a little bit more complicated by the fact that when we first start dating our partner, it does feel pretty effortless and easy. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I always like to remind people is that we actually did put a lot of effort into the beginning of our relationship. Um, You know, so if you were with your partner and you guys are being intimate, you know, you might spend, you might have like dates that you were scheduling and you'd, you know, spend a few days getting yourself so excited anticipating this date. What's it going to be like? What am I going to wear? You know, the day comes and you could spend hours getting ready for the date, like, you know, doing your hair and makeup and putting on your favorite songs and your best outfit and, you know, all this stuff. Um, And, even dating itself, you know, we have to carve out time in our lives to to be with that person. We have to say no to other responsibilities and, and opportunities. So there actually is a tremendous amount of effort that we're putting in even from the get-go. So what I really want to do is just normalize this idea that great sex takes great effort. And that doesn't mean that you're not in the right relationship, that you're not compatible, or that the spark is completely gone. It just means that that's the truth about sex. Great sex requires great effort. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times if we can just shift our mindset and recognize, okay, it's not just going to happen naturally. Desire is not just going to fall into my lap. Desire is something that I have to invite in. Just making that mindset shift can really help unlock a lot of energy and excitement. So What I would, you know, where I would go after that is to try to spend some time thinking about, yeah, okay, when I was at the beginning of my relationship, what was it that got me excited about being intimate with my partner? And what you'll often find is that there are plenty of dynamics that you could bring back into your relationship. So maybe it's that you want to try scheduling dates or scheduling sex. <laughs> maybe right. it's that you used to love how you and your partner would flirt over text all day long and that would like get your energy going to, you know, for seeing them later. That's something you could do today. Um, maybe it's that you used to love getting ready for dates. That's something that you could do. Um, so you know, just recognizing that there are lots of things that we can do to help ourselves get in the mood, to feel. Like those old versions of ourselves and to feel excited about connecting with our partners.
3: Yeah, yeah that's so true. Just it, putting it in my own relationship, I'm like, oh yeah, we used to do like so many things. We would like plan, like I would do what I used to do, Lauren, remember when I played that whole like scavenger hunt? Like, yeah, yeah, so that definitely, I love that. Um, I also, that brings me to another question is initiating. So I'm just curious, does it matter who initiates? Like, is, like, should both of you be initiating or is it okay if one of the you is the only one initiating? I'm just curious what your thoughts are on, about that.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting question too. So I want to normalize here that in every relationship, every couple has mismatched sex drives. So I think that's like a phrase that we're taught to be a little bit afraid of, but that's just the truth. You're never gonna find a partner that you guys both want sex at the exact same time, the exact same frequency, every single time. Like we all have mismatches in desire and that's perfectly okay. So in every relationship, there's gonna be one partner who just naturally wants to initiate sex more often. And I think that's totally fine. Um, And I do think that both partners should make the effort to initiate it's not about having you know that you're checking off like okay i initiated five times in the last three months and you initiated ten times you know we don't need to track it that way but um that both partners make that effort Because the reality with initiation is that even if you guys say yes to each other every single time you initiate, it's still really vulnerable to initiate. You're still putting yourself out there. You're asking for what you want. You're putting yourself in this position where your partner could turn you down. Um, And so it's, it's a challenging thing to do. And so that's why I think it's important that both partners make the active effort to do that. So they both put themselves on the line a little bit, feel that vulnerability. It's not just left to one person.
1: Yeah, that's good. Awesome. And so I'm thinking of uh, a friend who actually reached out and it kind of goes along with the, all of this that you're saying. And for they, her and her husband are mismatched. Like many of us are like mm-hmm. you're saying, but her husband is to, you know, they've been married over 10 years and her husband isn't even willing to really discuss so she tries to initiate all the time and gets turned down and but he isn't even willing to kind of have that discussion so what is what what would be your advice to her
2: <laughs> Yeah I'm so glad you brought up this example because The truth is that there are a lot of relationships where the woman is the partner who has the higher sex drive than her male partner. Mm -hmm. And we just do not talk about this. And so whenever I work with couples like that, they always end up feeling really, really ashamed. Like the man feels emasculated. The woman feels unfeminine. They feel like, you know, oh my God, this is so weird. Isn't the guy supposed to want sex all the time? Um, so I'm really glad that you brought that up because it just gives me the chance to normalize that. No, <laughs> there are just as many relationships where the woman is the partner with the higher sex drive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder with your friend, if that might be some of that dynamic that's coming up, that maybe her partner is just feeling really shut down. Maybe he's feeling emasculated or wondering, you know, what's wrong with me? She's wanting sex and I don't want it. Mm-hmm. And that shame might be just pulling him, you know, farther and further away from her. Hmm. Um, so what I would recommend that she does is to to keep trying to initiate conversations with him. Mm-hmm. Um, sex is really, really challenging for all of us to talk about, but it's really important that we keep trying. So I would definitely recommend talk about it at a, outside of the bedroom. Do not talk about it right after you've just tried to initiate or you've just had sex. Yeah. Like it has to be a completely separate time when things are neutral when you're in a good mood and you know the two of you are are feeling pretty calm and connected with each other um then what i would suggest is that she talk about the impacts that sex has on her so sometimes when we talk about sex especially if we're feeling embarrassed and nervous we tend to get really fixated on the frequency of it so she might have you know in the past been approaching him saying we don't have sex very often we only had sex once in the last month or the last two months and then it, it's you know once you start talking about the numbers then it just becomes no no well we had sex twice last month no we didn't it was only once you know and you yeah. just get into a
0: useless conversation yeah
2: Um, But instead, if she could approach him and say, you know, talk about what it feels like for her when she gets to be intimate with him. So it's not just about the numbers or him needing to perform. It's, hey, you know, when we take the time to be intimate with each other, I feel so close to you. Mm -hmm. It feels like all the stresses and chaos in the rest of the world, that all just melts away. And it feels like it's just you and me together in that moment you know, that's going to soften him up so much more and and help him recognize like, ah, oh, I want to have those kinds of moments with you too. So if we can talk about those emotional impacts um, about, you know, why we want to connect with each other in that way, really talking about sex as connection rather than sex as an act, um, that can make partners feel much, much more open to having a conversation.
1: Yeah, that's such great advice. Um, and that kind of leads into the question too of um, – how do we, since you said we are mismatched and we're not always going to be, you know, on the exact same timing, what, can you give us some ideas of like how we can turn down our partner for se- from sex, but
2: in a manner that won't hurt their feelings? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So one thing that I definitely recommend is that you and your partner have this kind of conversation. And to say, you know, say something like, I want us to be, you know, both to be open when each other uh, initiates. I want to be intimate as often as we can. And I want to be realistic. And I know that sometimes, you know, we're not always open to it when the other partner initiates. So if you were to approach me and I'm not in the mood, what would be the best way for me to say no? So you're kind of turning it into it's like the two of you solving a problem together rather than it feeling like this antagonistic type of thing.
3: Um,
2: So I would definitely suggest having that kind of conversation. But some ideas that you could bring into that conversation include um, one tip that I always give is to make it really clear to your partner that you're turning down sex in that particular moment for whatever particular reason Mm -hmm. and not that you're turning down them. So whenever we hear a no from someone, like rejection always stings. None of us yeah. ever likes being turned down for something. Um, but the reality is that, you know, if you're, your husband's initiating sex and you're saying no, you're not telling him, you know, I am so unattracted to you. I hate you. I never want to be intimate with you again. Yeah. But sometimes that's how it can feel to your partner. Yeah. So instead, if you could say, you know what, babe, I would love to connect with you. I'm so glad that you tried to initiate with me, but I've had a really awful day. I've got this, you know, this huge project at work. It's just going through my head and I can't get it out of my head. And I'm worried that I wouldn't be able to be present in the moment with you in the way that I want to be. So it's also tying in you know, whatever it is that's going on in your life that's making you want to say no, Mm -hmm. tying that into your inability to show up in the way that you want with your partner. So it's like sending your partner the message, like, you deserve to have me be really present and connected with you. I want that. It's just there's this other thing in the way that's preventing me from being able to connect with you in that way. So that just, it really lightens the conversation. It helps your partner recognize that there is a specific reason and, you know, again, ties it back. into not being able to connect with them in the way that you both want so that's a much gentler way to bring it up yeah communication is so key. (laughs) i I know it all comes back to communication yes
0: (laughs) Yes. and i love that it's ironically it all comes back to mindset i feel like every episode and Mm -hmm. i've loved all everything you've said is super helpful and i know they said I'm probably the most modest one. But luckily, I'm not modest with my husband. So we kind of have like a really good communication between us. But back to kind of what Kristen was saying, I know after having kids or just like during this period when you're not feeling really sexy, and I love your advice on it. And I was also going to mention something that somebody told me, I don't remember who it was, but I think it's helped me even in those moments if you are obviously you, you can't say yes every time if like what you're saying, if you're really just not feeling it, finding a way to say no in a way that doesn't make them feel rejected is awesome. But I think also sometimes women can say no all of the time because they, mm. I feel like women just don't feel that way as easily as men. And what's helped me, like I know after having a baby, I just was not feeling it at all. But if I just kind of like changed my mindset and was just like, even if I'm not feeling it, like I'm gonna do this and like just like put my (laughs) I don't know like how to explain it but just kind of force your mindset out of not wanting to do it I think sometimes we think we're not gonna enjoy sex we have that in our minds but if you can kind of force yourself out of that mindset and just get into it then you're like oh I really did need to do that today I just was like being hard-headed
2: yeah does that make any (laughs) sense Yeah, no, there's some actually really, really important science behind this. So I'm so glad that you brought this up too. There's so many things I could talk to you guys about. I feel like we with a five hour long. I know. That's for sure. <laughs> but okay. So there are two different types of desire. Most people don't realize this. There's spontaneous desire and responsive desire. And what they boil down to is which part of you gets turned on first. So we get turned on in our bodies. So as women, we get wet. Our nipples might get erect. um, Men get erections. um, And then we also can get turned on in our brains. So the idea of sex sounds good. You know, we're we're mentally on board with it. Mm -hmm. So for spontaneous sex, you have the mental desire first. So you might be, you know, just going about your day and then all of a sudden the thought pops into your head, Hmm, sex is sounding pretty good right now. And then, you know, you find your partner, you guys start being intimate, and eventually your body will catch up and you will, you know, be able to participate in intercourse if that's what you guys are doing. Um, responsive desire, on the other hand, is when your body gets turned on first before your brain. So this is exactly what you're talking about, is that if we give ourselves a little bit of space to say, hey, it's okay to not be immediately turned on that, you know, magically the exact second that my partner happens to be interested in sex, I am wild and raring and ready to go. Mm -hmm. If we can instead be a little bit curious and say, hey, well, I'm not sure. I'm, you know, not in that mental space yet, but I wonder what it would be like if I gave some attention to my body. So often what you'll find is that, you know, if you start kissing your partner, making out, cuddling, some massaging, whatever it is. Once your body starts getting stimulated, then your brain kicks in and is like, Huh, this is feeling pretty good let's keep going yeah so it, that's actually you know how desire works for the vast majority of women so it's such an important thing to recognize that responsive desire is totally normal very common most women are responsive so you know like you said it's not about forcing yourself to do something that you don't want to do but it's about recognizing okay in order for me to feel mentally interested in sex I first have to get my body going yeah. so can I let my body get going and then make a decision a little while after that about whether or not I want to continue.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. And it's thank you for like describing kind of the science behind what Megan was
0: basically describing without yeah, without knowing it. <laughs> well, I described it very badly and you fixed it for me. So thank you very much.
1: No, <laughs> Vanessa, we just have a couple more questions. I feel like we're trying to cram so much in because we just uh, there's so much to talk about. And obviously, we won't get it to all of it today. But there is. Switching gears, one question that this is kind of out there, but if it's true, I just have to know the truth behind this because I think everybody needs to know if this is true. But um, somebody recently told us about a story of a woman who was in her mid to late 60s, past menopausal. So I mentioned that, that like no tampons being used. I think she had been single. She's been single for a long time. And so needless to say, there was not much action going on and her hole like nearly closed up. Is that a common thing? And if so, I just feel like we should know.
2: (laughs) No. Okay. It's it's not a thing. It's not a thing. No. Okay. It's not a a use it or you lose it type of thing. Yeah. (laughs)
1: When I was told that story, I was like, oh my gosh, no way. Like, why aren't people talking about this?
2: (laughs) Oh, no, definitely not. Don't be worried about that.
1: (laughs) Okay, good. And then I kind of want, this is a selfish question, but I have an eight-year-old boy and Megan has kids and I'm sure one day Kristen will too. But for all of the parents out there listening when it comes to kids, you know, we grew up in a family, at least for me, I'm a little bit older than Megan and Kristen, but sex was just not discussed at all, um, mm. with me between my parents. And I want to, uh, approach it in a different way. And I do want it to be just a normal conversation that, um, is had. And so, but I still don't really know which direction, like when, how, and you know, what, do when do we start that conversation and how do we do it or what what do you recommend
2: yeah so I recommend starting as early as you can. There are, you know, I think a lot of parents take the approach of you wait until your kid is a teenager and then you sit them down and you have that birds and the bees conversation. Yes. But by that point, your kid already knows so much about sex, and especially mm-hmm. with the internet. You know, they've been exposed to so many things. So I think it's really important for us to start the conversation as early as possible. And of course, share age appropriate things. So you're not going to be talking to your three year old about three. (laughs) Um, but you can, you can Google, there are great um, lists about what are, what are age appropriate things to discuss with your kids at each stage, whether, you know, with really young kids, it's just going to be things like the name, you know, proper names for their body parts. So you're saying penis and vagina. Um, And then, you know, as kids get older, starting to talk about things like consent and pleasure, you know, there are so many topics to talk about. Um, There are also some great books that you can find too, that are specifically created for, you know, ages 8 to 10 or 11 to 13 mm-hmm. um so you can you know buy them for your kids read them together with them and talk about them um The interesting thing about kids is that they will often take the lead if you allow them. So if you make it clear and if you kind of repeatedly tell your child, you know, sex is something that we can talk about. I want to be here for you to answer questions. They'll ask you questions and they'll actually often ask you age appropriate questions too. Um, So you can kind of follow their lead in that as well. Um, And then, you know, one final note that I'll say is that It's okay to not be perfect at talking to your kids about sex. Like Again, we all have this inherited shame and embarrassment and none of us are perfect at it. But what you can do is share with your child that you have that embarrassment and that you want to make sure you're being clear to your child that you don't want them to have that embarrassment. So, you know, let's say your kid asks you a question and you blush, you can say, you know, mommy's a little embarrassed because this has been a tough topic for her to talk about. But I want you to know that sex is perfectly normal and natural and healthy. And I'm actually working on getting more comfortable with it myself. So I'm glad that you asked me that question and you gave me the chance to get more comfortable too.
1: Mm -hmm. That's so good. Well, unfortunately, we are reaching our time. But um, as you know, we love to leave our guests or our listeners, I'm sorry, and ourselves a challenge for the week. And we would love for you to assign us the challenge for the week if you have something for us.
2: I do have something for you. Okay, so since we talked about female orgasms so much the challenge that I want to give to all of you is to take a look at your genitals. So getting fully naked, getting a mirror, and getting up close oh my and God. with yourself. <laughs> yeah. Oh That's a challenge, literally. <laughs> I hope my husband that walks in. <laughs> Yeah, the reality is that so few of us have actually done this. You know, I I know I mentioned earlier that I've had women in their 70s and 80s who've gone through finishing school. Those women had never looked at their bodies in their entire life lives yeah and so that you know when I when I heard that it just broke my heart this you know this this thought that we've been taught to be so ashamed and embarrassed of our bodies to think that you know they look weird and they're smelly and they're kind of icky and strange you know that that we could go our entire lives without recognizing uh no, actually, my genitals are beautiful and amazing and super sexy. Yes. (laughs) Um, And to to have that level of familiarity. So it's okay if it feels totally uncomfortable. It's okay if you feel a lot of resistance to doing it and you're kind of like, Vanessa, I hate you. Why did you just (laughs) suggest this? (laughs) But it's such a powerful practice. And I really think that if you can allow yourself to do it, um, that it's going to be so beneficial.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. And I think we should even maybe talk kindly to it when we're doing it. Be like, oh, oh you're so beautiful. <laughs>
2: that, was gonna, that's, that was be my step two. I was trying to be a little bit gentle on you guys. <laughs> Just giving you one. Point. Yeah. I love talking to my body, to all parts of my body, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah if you could say, you're beautiful, or if you could say, We've had a tough relationship so far, but you know what? I want to get closer to you or I want to get more comfortable to you. And even if you can incorporate some touch as well, just putting your hand over your body and and maybe saying that message like, oh, I want to love you. I want to be connected to you. That can be so powerful. Wow. That is awesome. Well, thank you so, so
1: much, Vanessa. This was so much good stuff and please tell our listeners where they can find you. Maybe learn a little bit more about the finishing school, which sounds amazing. And um, just let us know all of your platforms or where the best spot is to find you.
2: Yeah, so the best spot to find me is definitely my website, vmtherapy.com. It's my initials, vmtherapy.com. We have a ton of free resources. You can click on the online courses section and you'll find finishing school there with some of our other fun sex therapy courses. Um, And you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. We send out a weekly email every Friday with tons of free tips and suggestions and resources. Um, We do a different monthly theme every month which is super fun so would love to join you guys there and um, welcome you into our community and then if you're on Instagram that's my current favorite social media platform so I'm at Vanessa Marin therapy and I do like daily stories with fun tips and and exercises and, and all that kind of stuff so I'd love to connect there too
3: love it
1: love it. Thank Thank you you. so much, Vanessa. Vanessa, Thanks so much. Yeah, we appreciate it so much. And thank you listeners for hanging out with us. We hope that you learned at least one new thing this week and that you do the challenge with us. Let's do it. And we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.